0: Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 to 56. Now listen very carefully. The Lord's put this message on my heart, and these are some areas of the crucifixion and resurrection that maybe you didn't notice and you didn't think about. Sometimes we see these things and we really don't um, fully grasp what happened on the pages, alright? So I want to try to take you here... And and let you see exactly what's happening here at Jesus crucifixion and resurrection. It says Now from the sixth hour, this is the, the Jewish sixth hour, which their day starts at six AM. Remember that. So when they say the Jewish sixth hour, that's actually um, that's actually gonna be hold on, get this right. This will be noon until three. So they start at 6 a.m. Their sixth hour is noon. So I want you to picture all of this happening at noon. From the sixth hour from noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. If you just stop there, you'll be pretty fascinated. Okay? Completely dark, noon. Picture this. Okay? You can skip over that real easy. And about the ninth hour... Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama Sabaktam. that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them stood there and heard that, and they said, the man calls out for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. The rest said, let him be, let's see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake. If you didn't notice, the temple just got split in half, and there was a major earthquake. And it's completely dark at noon. Okay? So don't pass this over. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. The bodies of the saints which slept arose. Did you catch that? Graves were opened, and saints were coming up out of the graves, okay? They were opened. And they came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now, when the centurion, the centurion that they were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, he feared greatly, saying, "Truly, this was the Son of God." And many women, there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministered to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joseph. Uh, Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. Here's the NIV. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli. Um, where was I at? Just a second, they took it out of my other one here. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of them standing heard this, they said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge filled with vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Leave him alone. See if Elijah will come and save him. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split in half, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city, and appeared to many people. When the centurion that was with them was guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, the Mary of Mother, the Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now listen to this, Revelation one eighteen. it says, I am the living one, I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, put your spirit upon this word. Lord, hide me, Lord, behind your cross, Lord. Lift yourself up, Lord God. Father, I pray for your resurrecting power in this place, Lord God. Lord, do a mighty work in hearts today, Lord. Lord, I pray that you reveal yourself today. In your name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. There was an Irish novelist, and I want you to listen to this story because it will be a foundation of what I'm preaching today. His name was George Moore, and he tells a story about Irish peasants who uh, lived during the Great Depression. They were put to work on a government job of building roads. For a time, the men worked really well. They sang heartily, and they had a good time as they worked. They were glad they had employment. They felt they were contributing to the good of the nation. But little by little, it began to dawn on the men that the roads that they were building were going nowhere. Think about this. They were just hired during the Depression to build roads that went to nowhere so they could have employment. And once they began to realize this, it became clear that they had been put to work so the government would have an excuse to feed them. It became became pointless busy work it didn't take long for the men to grow listless. They quit singing their songs and they insight, and more insightfully concluded in his book, roads to nowhere are difficult to build. And then it says, in our day, when purpose reaches no higher than materialism, sports, pleasure, or what's next on your television show, we have embarked on a road to nowhere. I want you to begin to think about this a little bit. Because the road that you're on, if you're not following this person, Jesus Christ, that I'm going to reveal to you today, you're going to hear things about Jesus Christ that you didn't know before. And you're going to have a chance to have an eternal treasure because of your knowledge of Jesus Christ. But there is also an eternal uh, separation for rejecting Christ. And so today I'm just asking for the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus Christ in this place like He's never been revealed before in your life. And some of you are on a road, and they're not bad things, but it's your passion, it's your desire, and it's the road that you are on, and there's a lot of good things on that road. Some people, that road is a career. I many you have ever been on the road of, of the career and that was the focus of your pleasure. And you said to yourself, if I could only get that degree. And a degree is not a bad thing. It's important to have a good job and make a good living and, and do the right things financially to to help your family and help yourself. But do you know that that could be your passion and that can be your pleasure? That can be the thing that you believe is going to give you ultimate fulfillment. And some people have been to the end of that road. They've had the office on the corner. They've had the nice view. They've had the position that they've always wanted. They've had the amount of money that they felt like they wanted to reach. And they found out it was a road that led to nowhere. You know, there are those that felt like sports could get you there. Man, if I just accomplish this goal with sports or if my team wins this or my team wins that, then I'll feel really, really good about myself. And all the time is spent into that. And you get to the end of that road and you find out that that road leads to nowhere. Some people it's if I can only get a wife or if I can only get a husband. And that road leads to the place that I want to go, the place that I want to be. And what happened to these men is what happens to us in life. If Jesus Christ isn't the thing that we're following in life, if, if, if the, the path that he's on that we follow, if he's not the one, then all these other paths will lead to the same reaction that these men had. They found out they had no purpose. They felt like they found out that the road that they were building was purposeless, that they were just there building roads to give them a paycheck. How many have I ever been there? What am I doing in life? What is life all about? Why am I on this road doing this without purpose? And where am I even going? And today I want to reveal to you where I'm going. I want to reveal to you who the person is that I'm following with all of my life, all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind. And I want to reveal him to you today because some of you don't even know who he is. And and that's not a... It's a bad thing, okay, but it's not... Today is the day that God has determined for you to find out who He is. So I want to reveal to him, him to you today. I'm going to start off, in fact, the title of my sermon, because I want you to know when my sermon actually starts. Uh, I could not come up with a good title. It was my most difficult thing for this sermon was to come up with a good title, and I didn't come up with a good title. I have three periods of time that I need to explain to you today that very rarely get explained in the Really, really important parts of his crucifixion and resurrection. The first is a time interval. It's a three-hour period. So the first part of my title is three hours. The second part of my title is three days. And the third part of my title is 40 days. Three time intervals that you need to learn today that are very important in this message. But I'm going to get to that in a minute. I've got to review just a little bit of who this person Jesus Christ is. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 9 it says, and listen to this. I am the alpha and the omega says the Lord God. I am he who is, who was and who was and who is to come says the almighty. He is the first which is the alpha and he is the omega which is the last. He's the one who was, the one who is, and he's the one that is to come. Now who would have the nerve to say that about himself? Think about it. I'm the one who existed previously. I'm the one that still exists and I'm the one in the future that's going to come. This is not a normal person. This was God in the flesh. And this is a person that's unique and I say I'm going to give a little bit of review Because I actually preached the sermon around Christmas about the pre-incarnate Christ. And it's really important because most of what we hear about Christ is His ministry on earth. And His ministry on earth was unique when He was born in what's called the incarnation, or the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ fulfilled, now get this, He fulfilled over 350 prophecies. Just with uh, walking on the face of the earth. So, Jesus Christ is walking on the earth and He's fulfilling 350 prophecies. And I was, I just went through and just because I don't have anything better to do, I started counting them in each book. So, from the book of Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament, there's 353. I counted in Genesis 21 different direct prophecies about what His life would be like. I counted in Exodus Nine, I counted in Leviticus 7. Now get this. I'm going to go through all of them. Psalms, there was 122. 122 prophecies in Psalms about Jesus Christ. Think about that. Direct prophecies about his life. Then in um, Isaiah, there's 125 prophecies about the life of Jesus Christ. Think about that. One book had 120 prophecies that he fulfilled in his life, 350 altogether. Um, Daniel had 12, Zechariah, that little book, had 30 prophecies about the life of Jesus Christ. So as amazing as his life is, everywhere the man walked, everything that uh, Jesus Christ did was literally documented hundreds and even thousands of years before he ever walked on the face of the earth. In fact, the very first part of Genesis is said to be written by Adam. Did you know that? It says this is the book that was written by Adam, and it has a record, and there are three prophecies. The very first prophecies, Genesis 3.15, there are three prophecies about the life of Christ, the book that Adam wrote that's documented in the book of Genesis. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus was pre. I mean, he was existent before he was born in Bethlehem. And this is review. Then I go on and I begin to see not only was Jesus prophesied and lived his life on earth, but there was a dialogue in the book of Genesis between God and Jesus while he's creating the heavens and the earth. How many have ever noticed that? Jesus is literally there with the Father while they're creating the heavens and the earth and he says, Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image. Now, is God crazy or is somebody there with him? Let us make man in our own image. So either God is crazy or somebody is there with him. Jesus Christ literally was with the Father when he created the entire universe, the heavens and the earth. And some of you know this already, but some don't. Realize this. You go on. Genesis 3.22, it says, Then God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, and now he knows good and evil. Genesis 3, God is either crazy or somebody is right beside him when man sins in the garden. Right? He goes on. Another plural. As they're going down to... um, The Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. God is either crazy or the Father and the Son are together again. Somebody is there with Him at all times when they're conversing here. Even in Isaiah it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord, plural, Elohim, saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? God, again, is conversing here with somebody else. And then the answer comes in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. It says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Are you hearing this? This is talking about Jesus. It said all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in darkness, the darkness comprehended not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through, all men through him might believe he was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. He was the true light that lights every man that comes in the world. Jesus was in the world, the world was made by him, but the world knew him not when he came. So imagine this, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, not only was there when the world and the universe was created, but Jesus Christ, the Bible says, the world was created through him. Without him, the world does not get created, it was created through him. So you're beginning to see this person Jesus is bigger than a lot of people realize that he ever was. He was the, in the beginning, he was the alpha. He was the first. In the very beginning, he was eternally existent before God and took on human flesh and walked on the earth. Then another thing I taught around Christmas, if you'll remember, I talked about postcards of Jesus. And I talked about what's called a theophany or a Christophany or a messiophany. And basically a Christophany means Christ literally was present in several places in the Old Testament conversing with people. And everybody recognized it as, as, a. the Jews called it a messiophany because it was the Messiah literally was present in several places. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 19, it says, No man has ever seen God at any time, John chapter 1 verse 18. Yet we find somebody in the Garden of Eden walking with man after he sinned. And they see him. So who was it? Well, every scholar believes it's a Christophany, the Messiah. Whoever that Messiah is, he was the one in the Garden. They also believe that he was the one when Abraham had visitors in Genesis chapter 8. It said the Lord appeared to them in the plains of Mamre. He actually went in to Abraham's tent and had supper with him. Who was it? Because lo- nobody has ever seen God, but they actually sat down and ate with the Lord. And everybody agrees this is Jesus Christ way before He was ever born in Bethlehem, in the very beginning in Genesis. I mean, this is ancient history. This is early mankind right here. He goes on. You see another one. Now. You see somebody... Um, Somebody that um, Abraham is having a conversation with and he's saying, how many have to repent before you don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And they kept, the number would lower a little more, the number would lower a little more. Another place where they believed that was not the father, that was a Christophany. Jacob wrestled somebody who was God. He literally had a wrestling match with God. Couldn't have been God the Father. Nobody's ever seen him, let alone had a wrestling match with him. But Jesus says, I was the first and I am the last. And so, and then Numbers chapter 20, somewhere along the way, a rock is following them in the wilderness, giving them water everywhere they go. And Paul says this, Jim, 1 Corinthians 10.4, And they all drank from the rock, spiritual drink. They drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Jesus Christ. Paul said it. So you see pictures of Jesus everywhere. And here Jesus is walking on the earth. And all through the Bible you've seen pictures of Jesus. He's born on this earth. And now you see Jesus on this day that we celebrate, Good Friday and Resurrection Day. And I want to begin to break down this day. This is actually where my sermon starts here. There's three hours here that I want you to really recognize and really see because this is the God that created the heavens and the earth walking on this earth. And the time of the day on Passover is 6 a.m. How many know that Jesus Christ was taken into false trials? Overnight, they tried to hide what they were doing. They brought in false witnesses uh, against Him. They brought people in to lie about Him. It's the most... Um, um, It's the greatest injustice that's ever happened in a courtroom. And they tried to do it overnight. He went from one court, the guy said, I don't want any part of it. He sent him over to another court, he said, I don't want any part of it. He sent him back to the other court, I don't want any part of it. They did everything they could not to do it because they knew the man was innocent as innocent could be. But here Jesus Christ at any point could have stopped it, but at 6 a.m., they finally brought the sentence to an innocent man who, by the way, created the heavens and the earth. His name was Jesus Christ. All through the Old Testament, he was there. All through the Old Testament. In fact, I preached last uh, Resurrection Day, last Easter, I preached um, about um, the Lamb. And I went all the way through the Old Testament and showed you all the places where the Lamb was uh, prophesied that he would one day come and give his life for us. And here Jesus is at this trial, and at 6 a.m., Jesus finally is sentenced to die. Now, I want, to, I want you guys to get the full picture of this comedy that now begins. Okay, this is the worst comedy that's ever been produced. Because this was a comedy, and Jesus Christ was the center of the comedy. You say, well, man, that doesn't sound like a comedy. But Satan and all every demon in hell joined in in this comedy. They mocked him. I want you to picture Jesus Christ, the one who was there in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth, walked all through the Old Testament, came to this earth to be God's lamb, was being mocked. They put a crown on his head. By the way, they made his crown of thorns, and they began to bow down to Jesus. They began to put the thorns in his head, and it literally pierced you ever had anything? I got I got stuck one time with a needle right there. You probably remember that. I was swinging the rubber holes around. And I had a needle on the end, and it stuck me right there. And I had to literally pull it out of my temple. It like went in like an inch. I don't know. Something might be wrong with my brain. Probably is. But can you imagine these long? Have anybody ever seen the long thorns, long ones, pressed into your head? And man, he just begins to bleed everywhere. And by the way, this was a fulfillment. The thorns in the Genesis was a curse. And as they put the thorns on his head, it was representing the curse that was being put upon him. They put a robe around him like a king. And they began to mock him. Do you see the comedy beginning to build? And all of hell is just laughing and mocking and having a good time. And just laughing and laughing and laughing. they begin to beat him. They bow to him. They pull his beard. Anybody ever heard the sound of somebody getting punched really hard in the face? The sickening sound where you can hear somebody getting punched really, really hard? These Roman soldiers weren't weak men. They were powerful men. And they would punch him in the face. And they would laugh and they would say, Prophesy who just punched you. They'd blindfold him, punch him and say, Prophesy who did that. They begin to rip his beard. And I'm going to demonstrate how pain... I'm not going to do it. Okay. I'm not going to do it. He got nervous there for a minute. He knew I wouldn't do it. But can you imagine that beard just being pulled out of his head? And man, thorns are in his head, blood coming down his face, robe around him, you know, fake scepter in his hand, bowing down before him, punching him in the face, prophesy who did it. Spitting on him? Have I ever been spit on? I'm a dim, no, <laughs> I'm not. Alright. I got I got too much tension. I gotta break it every once in a while. But do you see that, that I'm telling you, they were brutal to him. Absolutely vicious. In fact, there's probably not another more vicious way to die than the way that he died. In fact, historians say, how much more vicious can you possibly be? They literally fillet him, and the only thing that really allows him to even die is he finally just bleeds out. Okay, it's a vicious way to die. Okay, and then they begin to take the whip, they dig into the skin, and man, you just begin to see. They say you literally can, a lot of times by the end, see organs hanging out, and I hate to on a Sunday morning be telling you all these things but it's what our Lord went through we, we, we need to know and you literally can see organs now I want you to remember again he was there and the world was created through him he's been existent from the beginning and now he's walking with us and we all think we're religious we all think we would treat God a certain way and be a certain kind of reverent, but there was no reverence here they were brutal to him, brutal to him. And I want you to picture this. From 9 to 12, 9 o'clock they nailed him to the cross and his body already was dying. Already it was hanging, organs were probably hanging out of him. You know, His body was, uh, his heart was struggling to even survive. Okay, then he hangs on this cross from 9 to 12. And I want you to see this, a bright, beautiful Sunny day. And for some reason, God breaks up the cross in two parts. The first three hours, and I want you to remember this because you maybe never heard this before. But God broke up the cross in two three hour periods. The first one is bright daylight. Jesus Christ was visible to everybody that was around to see the torment that they were putting Him through. They mocked, they laughed. They cursed him, they blasphemed him, they pushed him, they spit on him, they pierced him, they did everything they could possibly do in broad daylight to Jesus. Everybody could, nobody could deny it. I mean, he was literally bleeding to death down this cross and it was invisible, bright daylight. But there were three more hours that he was on the cross. And I want you to begin to picture this scene. Because if you can't picture this scene, you're not getting the full picture of what he did on the cross. Because noon, sunshine, middle of the day, it gets so dark, a terrible darkness. To this day, nobody knows what happened on that day. But do you know that there are records, in fact I found six different records. uh, One from a man who's a Greek historian... And he provides confirmation that in the he lists the year that it happened, there was the greatest eclipse of the sun we had ever seen. It became nighttime in the sixth hour of the day, i.e. noon, so that the stars even appeared in the heavens it was so dark. There was a great earthquake in Bithynia, and many things were overturned even all the way to Nicaea. This is a Greek historian. Uh, Africanus is another one. He wrote a five volume history of the world. The whole world there pressed in for the most fearful darkness. Rocks were rent in half by the earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts around were completely thrown down. The darkness, um, Thallus in his history called it an eclipse, and then he goes on to say why it could not have been an eclipse. It was a full moon. There was no possibility that that could have been an eclipse because of the time of the month. Passover was always a full moon, and an eclipse would be impossible to have. And even if it were an eclipse, the maximum would be seven minutes, and at that particular latitude, it would be even less than that. How many have ever seen a full eclipse? This thing happened for three hours. Three hours. I want you to imagine this giant party is happening around Jesus. They're doing all these brutal things to the God of the universe. The God of the universe is dying for them. And for three hours they had a party. And then all of a sudden there were only, you know, there were only three things. This is how great God is. There are three things that he even said during the brightness of the day. When he was being beaten and he was dying, three things that Jesus said, I want you to see his heart for you today. I want you to see our heart because we would be like the ones that were brutal to him. Our lives, we've been brutal to him, just admit it. I haven't been nearly as good to him as he's been good to me. And we need to see this. There's three things he said while he was on the cross. The first thing he said, recorded in Luke 23, 34 is, Father... Forgive them because they know not what they do. Now what kind of man is that? Think of all the things that just happened to him. You ever had anybody insult you? Huh? You ever had anybody ride too close to you on the freeway or the expressway? Man, that was an insult. We might not even give a father forgive them, even in road rage. But I want you to picture everything... We get a little, Isn't it true we get a little insulted? And there's no forgiveness. Spit on him, pierced his brow with a crown of thorns, stuck a spear up his, under his ribs, nailed him to a cross, hands and feet like an animal, beat him in his back. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth, three statements. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The second thing he said... It says in Luke 23, 43 that there were men on either side. They were thieves. They deserved to be there. And guess what? Their leader was probably Barabbas. Barabbas was probably their leader. Barabbas got set free and Jesus took Barabbas' spot. The second thing Jesus said was, one of the men on the cross said, asked him basically to forgive him. He was asking Jesus for forgiveness. And Jesus said, Truly this day you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 43. First thing he said "His Father forgive them. The second thing he said, You know this man had already been mocking him earlier. And then realized who he was. And then asked him to forgive him. And the second thing Jesus says, Second statement "It's all, Today you will be with me in paradise. He forgave him. The third thing Jesus said, John 19.26, he said, woman, talking to his mother, behold your son. And he pointed Mary to John, who was then to become her son, as if uh, he were to take care of her. And John said, behold thy mother. Jesus said, look, this is your son. And he said, look, this is your mother. He was taking care of his mom. Think about it. Three things he said in the middle of the broad daylight. Bright sun shining. Everybody could see what was happening. Everybody was mocking him. Everybody was having a party. But here's what I want. Here's the start of my sermon. I'm sorry. It's Easter. I know I'm supposed to be fast. Three hours. Because at high noon, when it's supposed to be the brightest time of the day, suddenly... And nobody still to this day knows what happened, but I have six records and I read a few. There's another one from the Magi that came from Persia. There's another one that comes from China about what happened. There are all kinds of records about not only the darkness, but also that earthquake, the major earthquake. So seismologists who aren't even Christians have looked at that area in the Dead Sea and say, yeah, there was at least a 5.5 that happened that day. So I want you to picture this party and everybody laughing and everybody having a big time with the God of the universe and all of a sudden, I don't know how it happened, I don't know if it was Jesus himself or God the Father, but suddenly a terrible darkness. The lights were shut out at noon. I want you to picture that you're in that neighborhood and you're tilling up your garden because it's the springtime. And I want you to imagine complete and up- Darkness, a terrible darkness, it was said to be. An awful darkness. It was so dark at noon that you could see the stars in the sky. Is that scary? And there was a terrible, awful darkness. What do you think happened to this party? Oh, and by the way, it wasn't just a darkness, a major earthquake hit during the darkness. And by the way, graves and rocks begin to split open. It was such a major earthquake. Imagine you're in complete darkness. You weren't prepared to be in the darkness. You're standing on a hillside watching a man die, and suddenly the lights get turned out on on humanity. This is no ordinary man that is dying here. A lot of you walked into this building and you thought, he lived, he died, and he was resurrected. End of story. Great story. I'm, I'm not interested. But there was a terrible... Fearful darkness. The only time, there's several times in the Bible and they always symbolize great judgment. In fact, uh, one place where it happens that God kind of took me to was a place in... uh, This is a place with Abraham. And you know, right when this um, darkness came, during this great darkness... Do you know that the veil of the temple was split in half? And God just started showing me, I said, God, what does this darkness mean? What is this fearful darkness mean? Why was the temple ripped at that moment? Why was this terrible, terrible darkness there? There's got to be a reason. And I kept being led to this place. Look at Genesis fifteen nine through 12. And I'll read it, you don't have to turn there. God was making a covenant with Abraham that symbolized Jesus' death here. This is a symbolic act that is showing Jesus' death. Everybody just pay attention. I don't want everybody looking around when a baby cries. You've heard a baby cry before, okay? You say, well, I can't concentrate. Well, you need to get a little bit better at concentrating. All right, it's not the baby's fault. All right, got to concentrate. You say, well, the early church didn't do this. They all had had nurseries. <laughs> no, they were sitting outside and... You know, sometimes they were on the side of the hillside all day and then Jesus had to feed them because they would perish if you wouldn't feed them. Or they would think they would perish, but they're not. So everybody focus in. Let's just act like we don't hear babies crying. All right, because I've been that dad. I've been that dad carrying one out that's crying bloody murder, okay? It's okay. We'll all survive. Let's just concentrate, okay? So Mo- Abraham, and I'll tell you the story here. Abraham was told by God to find a heifer, a goat, a ram, three years old, and a dove and a young pigeon. And God said, cut them in half, put them on either side, and then God was going to make a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham, there was suddenly a terrible darkness that went over. In fact, Abraham was put to sleep. And while he was put to sleep, a fearful, terrible darkness came over Abraham. And the Jews... It's kind of mysterious, but what God was trying to say was, this will come upon you if you break my covenant. Keep my covenant. You know, basically this covenant is what saves your life. And you know what happened in that temple was just like these animals. They were torn in half. Darkness fell upon the earth and a covenant was made with God and judgment was taken away from Abraham. And so when Jesus died, there was a darkness, there was a terrible darkness, and it's God's wrath, God's judgment being poured out on His Son. A terrible darkness. Jesus was in a terrible darkness for three hours. They said it was so dark you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. Do you imagine that? He's on the cross alive for three hours, In utter darkness, what do you think the enemy did to him in those three hours? I don't know. I've never heard anybody say what happened to Jesus in those three hours while he was alive, while he was on the cross, his last three hours of life on this earth. There was a darkness so terrible that Abraham couldn't even see it. God had to put him asleep. And he said, that darkness is going to be poured on my son. You guys know what darkness is? the outer darkness that we're going to experience in hell, darkness was poured upon our Lord for three hours. What kind of filth happened to him for three hours? What kind of thing happened to him for three hours where he would cry out, God, why have you forsaken me? God, why have you left me here in this darkness? Why? It was so excruciating. We don't even know what happened in those three hours. But he cried out, God, don't leave me here. A fearful darkness was upon him for you. The darkness that we're going to experience in hell was upon him for you. He said, if you are in my covenant, you don't have to experience, but I will. And whatever filth happened to our Lord for three hours, he endured it. It said for three hours he endured it, and at the very end of the darkness... Right as he began to, he finally gave his spirit up and he said, It is finished! Do you know that that means the debt has been paid? That is a term, a legal term that said you no longer have debt. How would you like to owe a hundred thousand or a million dollars? And somebody said, it is paid. And Jesus Christ endured a fearful darkness for three hours. Do you know the pain he was going through? Do you know the filth he had to endure for three hours? Every sin in the world, the sins of a molester were put on him. The sins of every rapist was put on him. Sins of every murderer was put on him. Everything that they deserved, he endured for three hours in darkness. And nobody knows what happened. I wish I knew... What he went through, I wish I could somehow know what he went through in three hours of darkness dying on a cross. The enemy, I'm sure, assaulted him. Why don't we talk about the three hours of darkness where he cried out, God, why have you left me here? What did he have to endure? But then can you hear all, how in the world, they, they don't even know how he yelled It is finished. Because his heart should not have been able to do that. But you know in the Psalms it said he willingly gave up his spirit. He could have kept it. But he willingly gave up his spirit and said it is paid. And he died. And the darkness was so thick and so fearful. And as soon as he gave his spirit up. The sun began to shine again. That's the three hours. Now I want to tell you something even more impressive than the three hours. You say, How is that possible? You don't know who Jesus Christ is yet. You better figure out who Jesus Christ is because you keep rejecting Him and you can't keep doing it. You've got to receive Him as your Lord. Because what He did next was ridiculous. He died, his body went into the grave, but where did he go for three days? Three hours, three days, and forty days. Where did he go for three days? The Bible said his soul went to Sheol, or Hades, or hell. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus descended... Into hell. Every church father, early church father, including Polycarp, Ignatius, the ones that were disciples of John, they all said that he descended into hell. And even the apostles' creed that tried to put together all their teaching said he descended into Hades. But he was just a man that just lived and died and was resurrected. Great story, let's hunt eggs. There's more you got to know here. He descended into hell. He told the thief that you will be in paradise with me right away. But where was paradise? Nobody had an ability to get out of hell at that point. How many know that? Nobody had an ability. From Abraham's bosom, they called it, it was a separate section of hell. In fact, we read it in the story of Lazarus. One was in Abraham's bosom, in this place, protected. They were waiting for their Redeemer their whole life. And Hebrews said they never got what they were promised yet, but they were waiting for a Redeemer that they had faith in. From Abraham on, they were protected in a place, not torment, but they were protected in a place called paradise that was literally in a chamber of hell. They had no hope without the Redeemer. All their life they had believed in the Redeemer and they wrote a check, basically, that was going to be redeemed. But then there was another section, the story of the beggar says, that had a great gulf in between and there were those that had no hope. And we're going to be in one or the other where we receive or accept Jesus Christ one or the other. Because this Jesus isn't just a person. He created the world. So, Jesus descends, and it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, he even descended into the lowest parts of hell where there's another section. And that's where the angels are at that were fallen angels even back in the days of Noah. He goes all the way down to the deepest, darkest part of hell, and it says he proclaims to them, I win. They rebelled. They were the original rebellers that fell with Satan himself. He goes down to the lowest part of hell. Listen to me. He owns the deepest, the darkest places of hell. He walks down, confronts every demon. These, these demons were supposed to be mighty men. Okay. These are the same demons that keep your children full of drugs. The same demons that tempt us day by day by day. And he walked down in the middle of hell and he said, here I am. I win. And in Revelation it says, the scripture that I read earlier says, oh boy, I'm getting too excited. It says, I am he that liveth. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Now when did he get them? If Jesus, when his body was dead in the grave, if his soul did not go down to hell at that moment, then when did he get them? Jesus walked down into hell, literally went to the deepest parts and says, I win!" and challenged every demon in hell and said, come at me right now. And Jesus Christ walked into the deepest part and said, come now. And said, I am the winner and proclaimed himself the winner and preached to everybody in hell that I am the winner. I came just like you expected me to come. Abraham, here I am. And Abraham said, I knew you would come. I knew you wouldn't leave my soul to rot in hell, the Bible says. David said, God will not leave me in that place in hell. God will not leave us there. He will come and He will pull us out of here. And the Bible says He led captivity in Ephesians chapter 4. He led captivity captive. He took the ones that were holding people captive and He made them captive. It says He took the keys of death and hell. And like Samson was an example of Him when He took that gate, And he grabbed it and he ripped it off and he took it on top of a hill and threw it. Jesus Christ walked into hell and said, now this is mine. He took the gate, he ripped it off. He led every captive that believed in the Redeemer with him. Paradise, the Bible says, went from this part called Abraham's bosom and the Bible says it went into what's called the third heaven. Now when we die... We go into the presence of the Lord. We don't go to that place anymore because he redeemed every soul that came before him in hell. And you say, well, how do I know that happened? Because it says, dead bodies popped up out of the grave. And it said, but they weren't resurrected until after his resurrection. And oh yeah, it coincided with what's called the Feast of the first fruits. Jesus, had said, would be the first fruit of the resurrection. And when he's resurrected, every saint that ever lived before him will be resurrected with him. But he's the first one. So they made a point of saying they would not rise until he was resurrected. And to prove that he did what he said he was going to do, the Bible says no man ever could go to hell and, and save himself. No man could ever do that. No man's ever went to hell. But by the way, the curse was on him So he had to go to hell now. But he was the only one that could get back out because he was sinless. So Jesus Christ went in, he redeemed them all, he brought them with him and people were actually walking into Jerusalem, people that had been resurrected from the grave ministering to people. What a day. Complete darkness at noon for three hours, completely dark like it's midnight and even darker than the darkest night. Earthquake that's more than a 5.5 magnitude splitting rocks. Bodies, dead bodies are sticking out and then three days later those dead bodies jump up and start ministering in the city. I hope you didn't come in here looking for a he lived, he died, he was resurrected, let's go hunt eggs. And I'm not against eggs, I dress like one today. Alright, you found the biggest one. And the roundest one. (laughs) but do you see who this man is and then that's the three hours and that was the three days so anybody ever ask you what did he do for three days he was kind of busy he was going all through hell proclaiming he is the king and he now reigns and releasing the righteous and bringing paradise and putting it with the Father. And oh, by the way, during that time also, do you remember in Revelation? This is all I'm quoting Revelation. He finds John and he says, I'm going to give you the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible said he not only descended in those days, but he ascended. He said he walked into the throne room looking like a lamb that had been slain. Jesus Christ not only brings that out of hell, puts it back into heaven, the redeemed, but he walks in front of the Father like a lamb that had been slain, and all of heaven stops and says, "What is this?" And said, "Look, the Lamb has been slain. He's worthy to open the revelation now." That's the revelation that's going to set everything in this world right again. There will no longer be sin, no more tears, no more crying, no more funerals. None of those things are ever going to happen again because Jesus Christ died and He's worthy to open this. And God can finally restore all things the way we knew it should have been. The Bible said eternity is set in our hearts. And so He goes into heaven and He's able to open the book of Revelation to show what's going to happen at the very end. He is the lamb that is worthy to open the book. And it's his revelation. And for 40 days, these 40 days are a freak show. Okay, I'm hoping you don't have a tame resurrection day because for 40 days he appeared 13 different locations. Okay, and everywhere that he went, I mean, he's walking through walls. He's eating meals with them. One place he appears to five hundred people. Now, tell me what other religious leader did that? Tell me what other religion did that? I'm preaching a real Jesus that had real eyewitnesses, that had real people watch him do what he did. What man ever came back from the dead and started preaching to everybody? Started walking around appearing to everybody. What other person came and opened the books and revealed what's going to happen in the last days? We serve a great God. Jesus is an amazing person. Do not go any one more day in your life rejecting this person because it's the greatest person that ever lived, and it's not even close. I'm trying to reveal Jesus Christ before it's too late. You say, Well, you're just a sector of religion. Read the Bible. From the very first moment man ever seen God in the garden, they were writing about Jesus Christ. To the very end of the book, all it talks about is Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you, that's who I'm following. Stand to your feet with me, worship team. Curtis, can you turn the lights down? Oh, that wasn't bad. Twelve o'clock, awesome. Praise the Lord. I always praise God when I'm around twelve, especially on Easter. Man, everybody, close your eyes if you would for a second. I've got to ask the most important important question that you will ever be asked in your life, and I don't know how many times you'll be asked this question. I don't know how many times you'll be asked this question. But this is the question that will determine your eternity. The person that I'm following, the road that I'm on, is Jesus Christ. He's the one I'm following. The road that he took was all the way to the depths of hell. The Bible said, um, there's nowhere that you can go where the love of God can't reach. And he was telling the truth. He went to the deepest part of hell. He went to the deepest part of earth. And he went to the highest heaven. There's no place that I can hide from the love of God. But you can keep yourself from the love of God. You can keep yourself from Him. He'll go everywhere to reach you, but you can continue to deny Him in your own heart. And what I've got to ask today is, I'm following Jesus Christ. I'm not following sports. I'm not following money. I'm not following business opportunities. Those are fine things in your life, but ultimately everything in my life is on the road to Jesus Christ. His future is my future. Eternity is my eternity. He is my God. He is my Lord. And what I want to ask you today is if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, we're going to say a prayer. And we're going to all say it together. But if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a moment. Not right now. But we're going to take communion in a moment.